June 22nd, we're reading through the Bible. Our Old Testament reading is found today in Esther chapters four, five, and six. So that's what we're going to be reading. And in chapter four, we remember we're in the middle of Haman trying to have uh, the Jews killed throughout the land. And as the Persian king is appealed to, to see this happen, Mordecai goes, the cousin of Esther, to appeal to Esther to go to the king, uh, Xerxes I, and have the king um, put a stop to this. And so this is where we get the famous statement from Mordecai that Esther is probably uh, put in this position for a time such as this. She's in a position with influence, and because of that, God has put her there, and she's going to be able to do good in that position of influence, which, of course, is a trepidatious situation. A lot of fear involved in this because of even what happened to Queen Vashti in the first chapter. Um, it was a, uh, I mean, you're really risking your life, taking your life in your hands. So in chapter 5, uh, this is what happened. She appeals to the king. She uh, certainly risks her life to do that, and then in chapter chapter 6, we see God working for good as Haman's plans are foiled. And uh, it all starts by talking about God's providence. The king not being able to sleep and having uh, the chronicles of his of his reign read to him. And uh, he finds out about that plot in chapter 2 that uh, was foiled. And you want to know who did it. And of course, it was Mordecai who informed on these uh, rebels in the kingdom. And it ends up being the thing that turns this whole thing around. Which, by the way, I just give you those two statements. I think of uh, Esther 4.14 and uh, this uh, passage here in chapter 6 where he can't sleep and then all of a sudden picks this book to read and the book that's read is a book that changes everything. People talk about Esther being a book that has no mention of God in it and that is a unique feature of this book uh, and some people have even said well it doesn't belong in the Bible because it doesn't have the, the name of God in it. Uh, may not speak of God directly but the providence of God is all over this book. I mean clearly the message of God's preservation of his people is uh, on every page in every chapter. So um, there's no denying the fact, obviously, that this is um, all about God, even though his, his name is not specifically mentioned. Our New Testament reading is in the second half of chapter 5, uh, Acts chapter 5, where the apostles are arrested, and then God miraculously frees them from jail. We have a similar situation later in Acts, only that one is done by natural means. God does it, of course, providentially in a, uh, in a miraculous time. Uh, is the timing was obviously God's, but here we have a supernatural freeing from prison. And when they get out, uh, you know, it, it's an amazing deliverance, and yet the high priests, of course, say, well, this is terrible. You, you, you can no longer preach in the name of Christ, but Peter in this famous section of Acts 5 says, well, we have to obey God. We're not going to obey you. And when we're stuck in a situation like Peter was and the apostles where they're saying, you have to do what we say. If you do what those officials say, and then you cannot necessarily obey God, well, then it's time for um, Christian civil disobedience. And in this case, they said, you tell us we can't evangelize. We saw that in the last chapter, but he says now as clearly as you can say it, you, we're not going to do that. And not only that, he preaches the gospel to them and talks about the fact that their sin pinned Christ on the cross. And it says in the passage that they were enraged. I mean, that was a gutsy move, obviously, by someone who felt compelled uh, to do what God told him to do, and that is to share the message of the gospel. And so as Peter speaks for the apostles, uh, they stand up against this uh, oppressive power, and in that, uh, God obviously is honored, and the people are... Um, 
they're bound together by the fact that they have good leaders that are willing uh, to do what needs to be done to preach the gospel. Gamaliel, we see in this passage, wants to calm everyone down, talking about the fact that if they fight this, they're fighting God. Um, not sure where he was in terms of that in his own heart or mind, but he recognized wisely that uh, the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the of the nation of Israel that were rejecting Christ and these apostles needed to really think carefully about what they were doing. Uh, so our community imperative today, I f have taken from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, which says that we ought to be praying at all times in the spirit. A lot could be said about that. Same phrase in Jude, uh, almost identical, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, here's what I want to focus in on. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so I'd put it this way, uh, because that's such a broad statement. We need to be praying for all, all the Christians. We can't pray for every last Christian by name, but we can pray for more Christians by name than we probably do. So I put it this way. Our community imperative for today I want you to focus on is to pray for a lot of Christians by name. Whatever your list is, make it a little longer today. Pray for more Christians by name. I want you to think, because we're supposed to be praying for all the saints, think about some Christians, maybe at the church, you've never prayed for. And maybe some that you think, well, I don't know that anybody's praying by name for these people. Put them on a list and start praying. I mean, outside your circle, outside your small group, pray for a lot of Christians by name. There's your community imperative. We're back tomorrow to keep, our re keep on reading through the Bible as we ought. We'll see you then.